Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Yes, indeed. We're back at it and glad you could join us. If you have a lawn or garden question, you could phone it in or you can text it in like some folks are doing already. Let's say hello to Mary Meyer, horticulture science faculty member at the University of Minnesota, extension horticulturist who just uh, got back from D.C., Right, I did. I was at the American Society of Horticultural Science annual conference. That's where all the professors and industry folks talk about their new research. We had about a th- uh, over a thousand people wow. there, four hundred posters on plant science, four hundred talks on plant <laughs> science. So I went to as many as I could, uh, but some really fun things. So can we talk for a minute? Oh, about, absolutely. Oh, yeah, Let's what, do that. Uh, what What are some of the new things? I learned. Well, we've talked about this for years, but this is a long-term study on little trees grow up quickly. So if you plant a small tree, now these were small, these were gallon pots. Most homeowners are not going that small, but they went from gallon pots to huge, big, uh, uh, bigger than most homeowners would plant. The little trees caught up with the big trees in this long-term study. So little isn't isn't bad. When you think about a tree, yeah. they will catch up. And in uh, by the end of the study, some of the species were the same size. How about that? Yeah, so that was cool. So don't don't worry. You don't have to go down to the gallon pot, but you can get a small plant. You can do bare roots, too. We know those come on quickly. Um, a couple other talks I went to, one was about uh, consumer wi- willingness to pay a premium for uh, better controls on their irrigation systems for home lawns Mm. just to be environmentally, uh, you know, get the system up, get it working right. Yeah, I'd I'd be willing to pay more if I was conserving water. So that was good news. That was a study across several states. Um, And then I talked to a graduate student who was doing a really interesting project on watermelon. If you've ever cut open, now we almost all have seedless watermelon now. And the seedless watermelon are a challenge for that plant because the plant is thinking, okay, I'm making a seed, I'm going to do it. But anyway, sometimes (laughs) sometimes there is what's called hollow heart in the middle of watermelon. If you've ever cut open a watermelon, you see a tiny slit there, an opening in the middle. Well, that can be t- some kinds of tiny slit or as big as your fist, called hollow heart. What causes watermelon? That? Yes, that's exactly what this student was trying to figure out. Uh, we think it has something to do with the pollination. Ah. Those are triploid watermelon that don't set a seed, and so it's like somehow it's uh, improper fruit development 
because it didn't have the normal fruit set with a seed. So um, this student was trying to figure out if it's water, if adding calcium, if there are other things they can do to decrease hollow heart. We see hollow heart in potatoes, and that's where I've seen a lot of times Mm. in a potato, the big, bigger potatoes. But I didn't realize they had the same condition in watermelon. So you, so, you as as much of, of you, as you've learned in your career, you're still learning. Oh, still learning. Okay. And there's still so much because this horticulture is just such diversity with plants. There's a lot of science now behind our food and vegetables and nutritional value of vegetables. Producing it for the highest amount of nutrition will environmental changes and the way we culture and grow plants increase their nutritional value. So we have a lot of scientists looking at that. So always fun to see what's going on. I bet you were glad you were indoors more than out because I would imagine it was a little humid in D.C. Very humid in D.C., folks. Minnesota, we've got a nice climate here. We do. It is so humid tropical in <laughs> wow yes very humid in it at night the nighttime temperatures i did get a chance to walk around the mall a little bit and look again at those great smithsonian gardens which are really beautiful wonderful to see the the gardens there that's great so, yeah, once a year once a year you do this once a year yes not next, always in dc though no next year is las vegas oh, my. <laughs> and july yes in the heat of the year we usually go out <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, welcome back. Mary Myers with us. Uh, Mary, we're already getting phone calls and text messages here on our Smart Garden Show, brought to us every Saturday by our friends at By the Yard Patio Furniture, that family-run business down in Jordan, Minnesota, that makes the best patio furniture in the whole world. We'll talk about that coming up in a few minutes. But I tell you what, let's let's go to the phones. We have folks that have been waiting. Elaine in Brooklyn Center is one of them. Thanks, Elaine. What is your question? My question is, what is invading my grapevines? About 20 feet of grapevines, something is eating the vines. Yes, I bet you have Japanese beetles. Uh, So if they're big holes, little holes, and now almost lace-like conditions on the leaf, the Japanese beetles love uh, grapes. That's one of their primary foods. They will go to that first. And um, so unfortunately, I think that's what you have. Uh, At this point in time, uh, unless you're a commercial producer, I don't really uh, recommend people use controls for Japanese beetles. They're usually not fatal. But we have a lot of information on our website about that. You can check it out. But the Japanese beetles are good flyers. So you might go out there and disturb the vines. They might fly so quickly you don't realize, wow, they're already gone. Mm. So you might not see them if uh, if you wait. Um, and usually they're in the breeding season right now. They're stacking up on each other. So they're big globs of them sitting around mating. Uh, but in a couple weeks, they're going to really decrease in the number we see because they go – they lay their eggs in the ground, and uh, then they're gone. Mm. So this is it's a short window now when we see a lot of Japanese beetles. I have seen pictures of some devastation, and you're right. That's a lacy look to right. uh, the plant. Right, yeah. All right. What is the website, by the way? Oh, the website, extension.umn.edu. Uh, click on Yard and Garden, and then you can find links there for what's wrong with my plant. You can also search uh, Japanese beetles, UMN extension, and those pages will come up as well. Boy, if you could get an answer to this, you could make millions. Um, How do I keep the deer from eating my hostas? 
Oh, yes. The deer, the deer. Fencing. What, what a problem. <laughs> yes. Fencing, uh, maybe a dog out there. Uh, yes, it, it really, fencing is the best um, best strategy. Uh, you know, I was out at Morris uh, a week or two ago, and, and Morris was using a repellent. Oh. A kind, of a, kind of a home remedy repellent in small bags that they were putting around at the base of a lot of their annuals. You know, at Morris is a big field day out in the country, in the open, huge area, and they don't have fences, but they have deer walking around, almost walking around with us that night at the field day. But the, but they were using these little bags of, uh, mostly they were pepper, but they were some uh, two or three combination of ingredients. Mm. And um, they didn't have any hard and fast uh, data, but they felt that, that they were helping a little bit with that. But it's it's really hard. You can do. There are some repellents you could put on regularly. You can try laying down chicken wire. Uh, a deer don't like to walk in anything that's like that. Uh, but but really, some obstruction like a fence is really the only permanent remedy. I tell you what, let's do this before we break. Mike in St. Cloud has been uh, waiting. Mike, what is your question, please? A uh, comment, then a question. I've We've used uh, human hair clippings on our hostas, and that seems to repel the deer. It's not a permanent solution, but it does work because they don't like that scent. My question is around ticks. Uh, usually in early May, the ticks start showing up um, on the dog and sometimes on us. And then usually about 4th of July, somebody somewhere flips the switch and they go away. This <laughs> year, we have not seen one tick. Uh, on the dog, on us, we've asked the neighbors. They've seen none. What was different this year? Hmm. You know, question mark. Uh, I, I, I don't know that anything was different this year. Uh, we have a lot of ticks at the Arboretum. The gardeners there have had a lot of ticks. The intern class, we spent our two hours on tick training in the beginning, and uh, interns pick the ticks off as we're sitting there in class. So uh, they, there are a lot of ticks around. Um, I think you've been lucky or somehow dodged a bullet where you are, uh, but there's still a huge number of ticks and certainly something we have to be very aware of because of their carrying diseases. And the more people have pets like you do, the pets can be a source of uh, a blood source for those ticks. So um, you, you've just been lucky. Yeah. I really don't think there's any decrease in ticks. I'd, I'd love to report a decrease in ticks here, but uh, I, I've not read anything uh, that there has been. Good question, though, Mike. Continued success. Oh, and thanks for the human hair. Yes, that's another, that, that is another short term. Uh, the, the repellents, you've just got to put them on again and again and again. And if you have a significant rain, you've got to put them on again. So sometimes weekly uh, to put out the repellents usually wears us down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I tell you what, we need to take a quick break. Mary Mary Meyer is with us from the University of Minnesota, answering your lawn and garden questions by phone and by text here on 830-WCCO. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on A3OWCCO. Denny along with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota Extension, helping us out, helping you out with your lawn and garden questions. Uh, Mary, we've got uh, callers. We have a bunch of texts, too. So let's – Kathy in St. Paul, though, has been waiting on the horn. Go ahead, Kathy. We're listening. Okay. I have a sugar maple tree, 30-some years old, and it's never had seeds before. But this year, right now, it's loaded with seeds. So why? 
Yes, this phenomenon is called masting, or the ability for some of our trees to set this huge quantity of fruit or seed. We see this with um, oaks, um, elm, ash, uh, this year maples, and actually a few weeks ago when the uh, before the leaves had fully come out, on some maples you could see brown because the seeds were so uh, prolific and so huge. We had these big brown branches, but if you look closely, they were seeds. So it's mostly an environmental phenomena that's uh, brought about by weather conditions. It won't hurt your tree. Uh, In many ways, it's a sign that the tree is healthy, as long as you don't have any other, other factors where you see the tree is really weak. There is a distress mode. Sometimes trees put out huge amounts of uh, seed as as their last gasp before they actually might die. But in your case, it's the only thing you're talking about is now it's loaded with uh, seeds. So uh, environmental phenomena called masting, M-A-S-T-I-N-G, masting. Interesting. Thank you, Kathy. 651-989-9226 if you'd like to phone in your question for Mary or send a text, 81807. Speaking of which... Here's one that says, after I pruned out all the dead branches from my junipers last weekend, they look horrible. I have a hedge 40 feet long by 4 feet wide. Would it be possible to do a rejuvenation pruning on juniper bushes? Um, uh, well, uh, <laughs> that's very uh, tough. That's very tough. Um, you, you have um, done what you should have to do a rejuvenation pruning. Now the question is, will it come back? And especially we're getting to the, um, the, the lower, lower amount of time for growing season. So we've passed the peak of growing season and we're, we're on the decline for growing season. So I don't know. You're just going to have to wait and see how they do. Yeah. We had huge damage with the junipers. So you were going to have to replace them anyway. So maybe maybe not. This might be an effort. If this doesn't work, then you you will have to replace them. Wait and see. Wait and see. Texter says, I've been deadheading my geraniums all summer. Now it doesn't even have any blooms on it. Do you think it'll bloom again yet this year? I think they will, but I think you need to fertilize them. So our annuals, like geraniums, are heavy feeders. They've had a lot of fertility in the greenhouse. You bring them outside, uh, they, they've had a lot of probably sufficient water, sunlight. Uh, so I would do some liquid fertilizer. Okay. Uh, texter wants to know, when can I transplant iris? Right now. The perfect time for bearded iris transplanting is right now. So they tend to go in this dormant period. Uh, last two weeks of July, first two in August, perfect time to divide bearded iris. All right. Very good. Uh, let's see. Another texter says, oh, agreeing with, with your comment about the little trees. Oh, good. Yes, good. little trees. Testimonial. Had yeah. a uh, landscape plant, uh, tamarack trees, 10 plus feet tall. Two years later, I planted several two, three foot high tamaracks. The small ones caught up and have passed the large trees. This is less than three growing seasons. How about that? Yes, that, that just it kind of is the story in a nutshell. The little ones catch up. All right, let's see here. Bob is calling from uh, Downing, Wisconsin, I believe. Bob, you're on CCO with Mary. Yeah, I have some. I'm starting to get some ripe tomatoes, and all of a sudden the bugs are eating all the ripe ones. Hmm. Oh, too too what bad. I'm I'm sorry to hear that. So, I, you know, once you're into uh, harvesting the fruit, it's very difficult to use any type of 
pesticide or chemical control because we obviously we want to eat the fruit as well. Um, I'm wondering if uh, what actually might be eating them. There are a number of things, slugs, a number of other things. So um, you might try, if they're close to your house, you could get to them easily. Just a lot of observation to look at that. Japanese beetles will eat almost anything. They're eating my kale. They're trying out a lot of things. So if, they're, if it's something like that, I would just be observant. Try you could also try something like remay or covering up the plants to physically obstruct the insect insects from keeping them out of there. But once you're harvesting, it's really tough. Yeah, I would yeah. imagine. I tell you what, let's do this. I know we have to break. We have callers we want to get to, texters as well here on our Smart Garden Show on CCO, 651-989-9226, uh, or send a text, 81807. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show, presented every week by our friends down in Jordan, Minnesota, the make-by-the-yard patio furniture. Best stuff your money can buy. Uh, Mary Meyer is with us uh, this morning, helping you out by phone and by text. And Mary, no, no, nothing different. A lot of callers, a lot of texters. A lot of gardeners. A lot of gardeners. And we're going to help them out. Dolly in uh, Waconia is first up. Dolly, you're on CCO with Mary. Okay, um... I did some lawn seeding, couple patches in early spring in May, and it's growing really nice. But now there's a lot of um, crabgrass in it. Can I spray for that crabgrass or not? No, at this point, crabgrass um, is best controlled with a pre-emergent weed control in May. So it kills the seed before it ever germinates. But at this point... You've got the plants there, and there are controls for that, but they are difficult to use for homeowners. Um, I would just say uh, next year you want to be sure about the time the forsythia uh, blooms to be putting on a pre-emergent crabgrass killer. So just make a note in your calendar for 2019 to do that. Um, the If there is any other seed that hasn't germinated already, you would kill that off as well. So um, I would recommend you do it next year. Hopefully you can mow that and minimize the amount of seed heads that will come out in the crabgrass because oh. it's an annual. Okay. You know, it's just an annual and going to put out the seed. So if you can cut off it, mow it as much as you can to minimize the seeding. Very good. Thank you, Dolly. See who's next. Uh, Kathy is calling from Interview Grove Heights with a question. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. Thank you for your show. You guys are awesome. Thank you. I'd like to know when can I um, plant an arborvitae? You know, the best time of the year. You can do that right now. We still have plenty of growing season left, and uh, you probably would be buying that as a container plant that has a good root system. So, yes, you can you can do that right now. Uh, just make sure you keep it well watered after you uh, plant it. Um, it should be good. All right. You know, I know Julie had mentioned this a couple of times. Uh, you guys had the, the, the uh, website has gone through a renovation, and uh, it's such a tremendous resource. Maybe we could talk about Right, that. sure. The website is a great resource. Uh, many people go to What's Wrong With My Plant uh-huh. uh, will come in knowing you have a um, 
an elm or a grape uh, like we had caller we had earlier. Uh, then you can look at pictures of the grapes, uh, what part of the plant's affected, and make choices as to what's wrong with your plant. So that's a great resource. What insect do I have is there? What weed is on my plant? And then, of course, we have general information about a, a lot of things uh, that we've been talking really about. Is. So extension umn.edu click on yard and garden you can also subscribe to the yard and garden news which is an electronic newsletter we just had an issue go out a couple days ago on august 1st that's where we put the educators uh, and i put up information that's timely so if you want to know what we're uh, getting questions asked about what we think is timely the timely tips are in there twice a month in the summer great Good news. All right, let's go back to the phones. Rachel's calling from Hopkins, Mary. Go ahead, Rachel. Thank you. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. So we planted a redbud tree last summer, and I noticed a couple weeks ago some of the leaves started turning brown and yellow with little spots on them, and they're shriveling up. So I'm curious, does it need more water? Is it unhappy? It's not the whole tree, but it's quite noticeable. It still could be adjusting, Rachel, just to the transplant shock. So the tree is really just one year old. Uh, We have had good growing conditions and, for the most part, plenty of water this spring. But I would just keep an eye on the tree, make sure that you are uh, watering it well. You could also take a look at the website we just talked about with what's wrong with my tree with redbud. You know, I'm not... I'm not remembering any issues with redbud. The main thing with redbud is the winter hardiness and and living through the winter. It's a great small tree, so I think you've made a good choice. Hopefully it's just still getting adjusted. All right. If you uh, have a question, you can call it in at 651-989-9226 or send a text, 81807. Speaking of which, uh, you're going to have to help my pronunciation here. Uh, my Rudbeckia? Rudbeckia? Rudbeckia, yes. Okay. Has tiny holes in the petals of the blossoms, but I see no insects, not Japanese beetles. Any thoughts? It might be slugs. There tend to be a lot of slugs around this year. Um, It could be, um, uh, I don't think the four-line plant, well, it might be the four-line plant bug. But there there are some other um, insects. Normally, it's a leaf spot that will be the issue on Rudbeckia. So I would just keep watching for the plant. Look at the undersides of the leaves. Look first thing in the morning, later in the evening, different times of day um, for the insects. Sometimes you can handpick these off. Uh, it may be that it's just a uh, small, if it's just a small amount of damage, I wouldn't worry about using uh, a control. But the first thing is to try to figure out what insect it is. Speaking of insects and speaking of Japanese beetles, Texter says, do they cycle, such as four years on, four years off? Well, kind of, <laughs> kind of, I guess, uh, and maybe a little bit. Uh, we we haven't had them in Minnesota long enough to really have big cycle changes. I grew up with Japanese beetles in uh, Pennsylvania, and they they had kind of always been there in my lifetime. I think they'd always been there. And so we did see the damage, but nothing was really fatal, and they were just kind of a pain in the neck. Hmm. Here in Minnesota now, when we're getting them the first few years now that we've had them, and I don't know if we had them 10 years now, something like that, we, they tend to be more of a problem for us. We tend to think they're a worse problem. And some years we see lindens. You can see lindens that are brown now from the late 
face that's the leaf damage. Uh, so they're a big problem. But in, in two weeks, we're not going to find many Japanese beetles. They're very, very short term when they're out. Then their life cycle is completed for the year. So they are a little bit cyclical, but I'm afraid we will always have them with mm. us. Uh, what is causing, Texas says, some of my river birch leaves to turn yellow and fall off? Some of the leaves look to have chewed edges and lighter green spores on them. There are a number of insect issues uh, that birch get. This is river birch, right, river? Yeah, so just yellowing in and of itself can be chlorosis or lack of iron uh, in our high pH soils. That can be an issue. So having a soil test might be a problem. There are a number of other uh, small insect pests that cause galls on trees, and those are of no consequence, more blemishes that aren't too much of a problem. And then... Japanese beetles are an issue also on birch trees, so they will eat birch trees and turn those into lace as well. So river birch, much uh, easier, uh, tougher plant than the white birch is to grow. But again, looking at the website, matching up your leaves with the pictures on the extension.umn.edu website, what's wrong with my birch, uh, I think will help you decide exactly what's wrong. Let's go back to the phones, Mary. Jean in Stillwater has uh, been waiting. Jean, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have an anthurium plant, and I've only had it about three months. And the leaves start getting brown at the very end, not all of them. And they just keep going until the whole leaf is, like, dead. Um, am I overwatering, underwatering? What? <laughs> the problem here. Yeah, unfortunately, Jean, I I do think it is water-related, and both over- and under-watering cause some of the roots to die, and then we see that reflected in the tips, just exactly what you're describing. So it's kind of a water imbalance. Uh, You want to make sure that the pot you've got this in really drains well, and the water goes away, uh, that it it is well-drained. And then I would try to water on a more regular basis uh, when the top inch or so of the soil is dry, water thoroughly, and then be, maybe not water again for several days. Okay. Thank you, Jean. Uh, let's see who's next. Jim is calling from St. Paul. Jim, you're on with Mary. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, real quick question. Can you? Is it okay to um, plant rhododendrons now? And if not, when would be the next time? Yes, uh, just like the arborvita, I assume you're getting a plant from a nursery that's got a good, well-established root system. Yes, you can uh, plant them now. Just make sure you keep it well-watered. We like to have a month of growing conditions before winter sets in when we're doing transplanting, and uh, we still have that now. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Let's see. Uh, I know we have to break soon, but Ken and Blaine, I think, has been waiting there. Ken, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a question. I'm looking uh, for a tree, and uh, I'm considering a mountain ash. Um, it's the one that has the red berries. Um, any comments on that? Mountain ash is a beautiful tree. They tend to be short-lived for us in Minnesota. I can't really explain that. Um, uh, where you see some beautiful mountain ash are up along the North Shore. 
And uh, I don't know, they like that sandy soil. They like those cooler conditions. We have uh, Sorbus Hill at the Arboretum uh, Mountain Ash Hill. And we don't have many ash left on that hill because over time they die. They have a number of canker and other uh, issues that come in with a mountain ash. So um, you, you, they're, they're a good tree for diversity, to have uh, diversity in your landscape. But it's 25 years is going to be it, for, I think, for that tree. So there are some others that are much longer lived. Okay. Uh, before we break, there's a text that, uh, text, and we've heard this before, when we walk through our yard, they say, this time of year, we get kind of a rust colored on our feet. What causes this? Yeah, that's rust. That is a, it a is rust. Puccinia, the, the rust, which is a fungal disease, especially prevalent on perennial ryegrass. I saw some papers at the conference on that, breeding against uh, rust in perennial ryegrass. And um, it's not a fatal disease, but it can uh, of course, they give give you orange shoes, and it can give kind of an orangey look or tannish look to your whole lawn. It's not fatal; it just um, is. And we've we've had that in some trials at the arboretum. It just um, it's not fatal, but uh, it, it is what it is. Rust. It only lives on the living tissue, and you cut the blades off those tissues uh, don't have it. Mm. So um, not fatal, but uh, a fact of life with perennial ryegrass. All right. Tell you what, we have to more callers, Mary, and texters as well. Let's do this. Take a break, and we'll come right back. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show around every uh, Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Welcoming your calls or your text messages. And Mary Meyer from the U of M is busy doing both here. I tell you what, let's, uh, let's talk to Brent, who's calling in from Roseville, I believe, with a question. Brent, you're on with Mary. Good morning. Uh, I have a, uh, a green ash in my backyard, so it's about 45 years old, and... Every year it gets these mite galls, and this year it is just literally loaded with them. And I guess I don't know what you can do about them, but uh, uh, it's they're unsightly. I don't know if they Yes, you're, you're right. They are unsightly. I've seen them on trees. Uh, they're, they're very common, and it, they are really just a pain in the neck. Um, I, I, I can't really advise that you as a homeowner need to do anything about them. They're not really fatal. They, again, it's an environmental thing. Some years there's a higher insect population than others. Sometimes you can prune them off, but that's really not very practical. And, of course, you don't want to cut off uh, foliage that would uh, weaken the tree. Um, no, you know, that reminds me. I haven't got a solution for you. Uh, the ash is... Um, I saw a picture of Wisconsin where the emerald ash borer had killed the trees, and it was frightening. I, I, and, and this year we keep thinking this is going to be one of the years people predicted we were going to see this huge dump in the ash decline and death from emerald ash borer. To my knowledge, this has not happened yet. Uh, I don't know if we're going to escape this year or not, but I'm, I'm afraid that your uh, green ash doesn't have a long life anyway mm. because of emerald ash borer. So I would think about what else you could plant. Yeah. Think about an alternative tree that uh, you could put in now that will grow up when the ash is gone. All right, Brent, thank you. Uh, let's go to South St. Paul. Berna is there with uh, a question in mind. Go ahead, Berna. Okay, I have a blue spruce that's quite old, maybe 40 years old, and it's losing all its leaves. They're brown, and it's getting real thin. You can see right through it. I wonder if it's dying. 
It could be, Berna. There are a number of fungal diseases that spruce get. So we do um, advise pruning those out, sanitation, cleaning up underneath. Um, You want to look at the website, extension.umn.edu. Uh, click on Yard and Garden, What's Wrong with My Plant, and go follow this, the steps for spruce, where you can uh, use the description you just gave me, and you'll be able to look at pictures to match those up with what how your tree looks. So it could be that um, you might want to do some pruning yourself. You might want to call in an arborist to use preventative sprays. Um, or it, and it could be your tree will live for several more years, but just be kind of um, half dead and half alive. Yeah. All right, Brenda, thank you. Uh, let's go to St. Bonnie. Ron is uh, there with a question. Go ahead, Ron. Mary's listening. Hello, Ron. Yes, hello. I have uh, stargazer lilies that are in full bloom right now, and several of them are gotten very light in color, faded out almost, and I was told that as a virus that they need to be cut out. Is this true, and what would I have to do? Uh, It could be. The um, viruses are very common in, I think you said, strawberries and blueberries, even more common in uh, raspberries. But um, So removing those plants that don't look good. Another thing I would do is a soil test because this could be nutritional deficiency. These are high feeder plants. They need a lot of uh, nutrition. So you want to make sure that you know what your soil test levels are as well. But uh, checking for virus, again, very uh, common mm. issue with uh, fruit crops. Uh, Ron, were you talking about lilies? What, what, what plant was that again? Stargazer lily. Stargazer. Oh, stargazer lily. Why did this come across as strawberry and blueberry <laughs> to me? I just wanted oh, to be gosh. sure of this. So let's start over. Stargazer lily, light color. Is this a virus? Oh, it might be. It might be. Um, that stargazer, though, that is so beautiful with the... Uh, not as likely a virus there. I'm... Ha... Huh. Unless you see deformity or something, I would watch that for a couple of years, and I would do the soil test. I would go more likely on the soil test than the virus on that. Oh, okay. So um, that's so beautiful with the uh, fragrance and everything it has to that. If you have a huge amount of plants, you could cut it out. But if you just have a few stems, I would do a soil test. I would watch it for a couple of years. Okay. Very good. Glad we got that clarified. Wow. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Text says, uh, "Can I still trim yews?" Uh, trimming yews. Uh, uh, this is not the best time of year to prune. A what yew. is the best time, Mary? The best time is early spring or in total total dormancy in winter. Okay. So total dormancy in winter or early spring for yews. This is not. I would not do it now because you'll. It, you'll increase the um, chance of new growth going into the winter, and that could uh, freeze and, and uh, turn brown. So, Sure get a lot of questions, as you know, Mary, about Japanese beetles. Here's a texture that says, when's the best time to treat the grubs? Well, the best time to treat the grubs is in the spring. Um, I mean, it's, it's in the spring. The, the material for treating grubs will last for a couple of months in the treatment. But you want to have that down in early spring as the grubs are uh, maturing and feeding. Sometimes if you know you've had a problem the previous year, you can put it down in the fall. But for most of the time for our growing season, it's early in the spring. It's May and uh, 
June when those grubs are actively feeding and up eating on the roots that you want to have the uh, insecticide there. But I would not do any treatments in turf areas until you make sure that you have had that problem in the past, that you've had a good population there. You dig up a square foot, you actually count the number of insects, the grubs that are there to make sure that that it's worthwhile uh, for your treating. A texter says this. I think we have time. Uh, We planted barberry bushes last summer. They were crimson when we planted them, but this year they're green. They're on the north side of the house. They look healthy. But why aren't they crimson? I believe they are Japanese barberries. Yes, I think they're probably crimson pygmy. They're not getting enough light. So while they have the ambient daylight, they need direct sunlight to get that uh, bright purple color. So the north side of your house doesn't have as much direct sunlight normally. So if if uh, you move them to a bright uh, brighter sun location, they'd get purple. We have about 60 seconds to go, Mary. And I, you, you mentioned on a couple of occasions about a, a, a lawn a, a, um, testing, a soil testing. Soil How do testing. we do that? Right. So there's a link on that yard and garden at extension.umn.edu for directions. You take samples um, in your lawn. The easiest way is to buy, get a sample bag, buy the sample bag online, have it mailed to you, and then you can mail it back oh, that's, in there that's to just, the university. That's efficient, right. yeah. It's uh, just about $20 to have a soil test done. If you're in the Twin Cities, you can take it over. You can drop it off to the University of Minnesota. You can actually Read directions on how to collect a sample online. Take the soil over, drop it off yourself during uh, business hours. Right, very right. good. Right. Mary, always a pleasure. Welcome back from uh, humid D.C. Good to be here. And we'll see you, and I know we're going to see you at the State Fair probably. Too. Yes, coming up. All right, very good. Thanks, Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.